0: Well, I'm glad you're here today, and I want to continue a theme that we actually started on Easter Sunday, which was two weeks ago. We're talking about the hope that Easter brings. We could also call this the hope that God offers. Now, if you weren't here last week, let me just review real quickly something for you. Last week, we discovered that the word hope exists in two different verb forms. One is an intransitive verb form. And it's a hope that says, I want something to happen, to cherish a desire with anticipation. But this is kind of a wishful thinking hope. This is the kind of hope that we might have, well, man, I hope that some rich uncle that I don't even know leaves me a million dollars when he dies in his estate. You know, I mean, it's really not probably going to happen, but we fantasize about it. But there's another kind of hope that's transitive hope. And its definition is to desire with expectation of obtainment, to expect with confidence. Now, that's not a wishy-washy. That's not a wishful thinking hope. That's a hope that says, I know this is going to happen. I have absolute confidence that I will obtain that. Now, it's that second definition of hope that God wants us to embrace in our confidence in him, our confidence in Jesus, our confidence in the cross, Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Again, that hope, not well, is it really possible that it's all true? But a hope that I know it's true and I know that God is going to keep his promise. Now, In fact, last week I gave you three reasons why you could claim that hope in the transitive sense of the word. One is because God made you family. When you trust that Jesus Christ is your Savior, God just didn't invite you into a new religious experience, a new religious movement. He literally adopted you, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, and he adopted you because he loved you. He made you a family member, and family doesn't disown family, especially a healthy family, and the healthiest of all families is God's family. He also trumped your behavior. That's where we kind of get uneasy because we we know who we are. We know what we think and we know what we do. But Titus 3, 4 through 5 says, but when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of what? His mercy. He trumped our behavior. He, 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 He didn't save us. And he didn't extend his love and mercy to us because of the righteous things we did, but because of his love and his mercy. And then finally, we looked at last week, and we said God keeps his promises. And we see his promise to us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, where he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. That's that transitive hope, that expectation, that confidence, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, that's because we're family, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Why? Because it's kept in heaven for us. God takes responsibility for it. God shields it with his own omnipotent power. And so how solid is our hope? How solid is your hope? Well, I love the way Paul puts it in Romans Chapter 8, verse 38 through 39, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any other thing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's pretty confident. That's hope, right? Now, I ended last week with this caveat all that is true, God made your family, he trumped your behavior, and he will keep his promise. All that is true of you if you are truly a believer. If you are truly a believer. Jesus made a bone-chilling declaration in the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And in verse 21, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father. In fact, he goes on in verses 22 and 23, he goes on to say, he's speaking to the religious elite now. He's saying, he's saying, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, haven't we we prophesied in your name? Otherwise, haven't we preached sermons in your name? Haven't we cast out demons? Haven't we healed people? In verse 23, it says, But Jesus will turn to them and look at and say to them, Depart from me, you evildoers, for I never knew you. See, Jesus says, not everyone says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who sings, great is thy faithfulness. Not everyone who comes to church is going to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Paul in writing a second letter to believers at Corinth, challenges them with these words. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, Now here is the question that I want us to struggle with today that I want us to confront. And the question is, am I truly a believer? Am I truly a believer? Now now let me tell you, this is an issue, this is a question that many of you have this morning. This is a question that comes up frequently in counseling. When we're counseling people who are struggling in life and, 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 and so often they'll say, you know, I, don't, I hope I'm a believer in that intransitive sense. I hope it's true. And, and I, but they don't have hope in that transitive sense, in that confidence. Now, this question is so important that I want you to really sit up and pay attention this morning. All the notes of what I'm going to talk about today, are going to be available in detail at the resource table. You can just go back and get them. They're free. All the notes that I shared last week, many of you asked me after last some message, would you share the notes? They're back there. And even back to the comments I made at Easter, they're back there. You can get them after the service. So I want you to not worry about so much taking notes as listening and doing what 2 Corinthians 13 challenges you to do. It says what? It says examine yourself. Test yourself. Don't be thinking about your husband. Don't be thinking about your wife, your kids, your brother, your sister, your coworker, your friend. Right now, as we take on this question and settle this, this question, am I truly a believer? Now, there's a couple definitions that I added after I did the notes, so if you want to write those down, you can. But you're ready to go? Let's settle this issue this morning. You ready to go? Amen. Am I truly a believer. Examine yourselves, he says, and this is the whole premise in 2 Corinthians 13, to see whether you are in the faith, to see if you truly are a believer. Now, here's a verse that we're gonna use as a jumping off platform to answering the question, am I really a believer? Every believer, every Christian should have this verse memorized. And so it's on your note page, in your bulletin. And I want to challenge you, everyone here, to memorize this scripture this week and to keep it as part of your readily available scripture vocabulary and bibliography that you can refer to at any moment. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and it's not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one should boast. I use it here a lot. I quote it a lot. And you should be able to. So let's use this to jump off this morning in answering this question, Am I truly a believer? What's it say? It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Now, let's take that, that word save. Save from what? Maybe you're new to church and you're just kind of starting a, a journey of trying to find faith or trying to answer some, some spiritual questions. This idea of being saved is talking about this. You might hear about people saying salvation and getting saved. What that means is that Scripture declares and teaches us that when man dies, there is a life after this life. And that... Every human being is going to experience that life in one of two forms, either life with God in heaven or eternal separation from God in hell. Now, it's not popular to talk about that. A lot of churches won't talk about it this morning, but Jesus taught that himself. There's no middle ground. There's no place we go. It's one or the other. And so when we're talking about being saved, we're talking about being rescued From the penalty of our sinfulness, which is eternal death, eternal dying. That's what we're saved from. So this verse in Ephesians, these verses say, for it's by grace that you've been rescued from this eternal peril. That's what it's really saying. Now, key in on the word grace. Grace. Dictionary.com defines it as this, the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. So when we look at that verse and say, for it is by grace that we have been rescued from eternal peril, we're saying it is by the free and in the favor of God that we have been rescued. The psalmist in Psalm 103 nailed this idea of grace when he penned this in Psalm 103 verses 8 through 10. The Lord is compassionate and is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Wow, what a different image Scripture presents of God than than, than mankind does. Mankind looks at God as cruel and judgmental and, 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 and even sometimes evil and hateful. But in every verse we've looked at, it has featured words like love and patience and slow to anger. He's gracious, abounding in love. It goes on to say, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor anger forever. Now look at this. I love this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Can I get an amen on that? Aren't you glad that he doesn't treat you according to your sins deserve? See, that's grace. That's God's grace, that's his favor. That's his love, that's his mercy. Now I want you to say this with with me, God does not treat me as my sins deserve. Say it again, God does not treat me as my sins deserve. Now, say it all together. God does not treat me as my sins deserve. Burn that into your consciousness. See, because you think he will, and you think that's what's going to happen. But Scripture says God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Own that. God does not treat me as my sins deserve. Why? Because Satan is constantly sowing that thought in our minds. He said, oh, God's going to get you now. Oh, you've ticked off God now. Oh, you've gone too far now. But God does not treat me as my sins deserve. That is grace. I love this definition I got from Wikipedia about grace. It says, the love and mercy given to us by God because God desires us to have it not because of anything we have done to earn it. I love that definition. Let me read it again. The love and mercy given to us by God because God desires us to have it, not because of anything that we've done to earn it. See, that's what Ephesians 2.8.9 says. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. It's not from yourself, It is the gift of God, not by works. Say that with me. Not by works. Say it again. Not by works. Do we get that now? It's not by works. So that no one can boast. It's grace. So let me ask you a question. So has God given this gift, given this grace to everyone? Well, there are many religions that believe that. And in this postmodern world that we live in, that's the mantra. That's the, 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 that basically what people are saying. Well, God has already extended his grace to everyone, so everyone's going to make it to heaven. That's where we get into these things. Well, people say, well, it doesn't really matter what path you follow because all the paths are going to end up at the same place. Well, is that true? No, it's not true. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. Because although God gives us this grace, this favor, there's nothing we can do to earn it as far as what? Works, deeds. However, there is one requirement. And what's that requirement? Well, the verse tells us. It says. For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Through faith. See, that, that, that's the only thing that, that, that we as, as human beings, as mankind, as men and women, that's the only part of participation we have in the whole deal is faith. Now, what's faith? Dictionary.com says, something that is believed especially with strong conviction, especially a system of religious beliefs. But the Bible gives us the best definition of faith. And it gives it to us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. What is it? Faith is transitive hope. It's expectation of obtainment. It's confidence and trust in what God has said. It's believing that God has made me family. It's believing that God has trumped my behavior. It's believing that God keeps his promises. And so faith. Now, this stopped. So if you guys can help me out. This faith is not something abstract. It's something real. And the question that we've got to ask ourselves is faith in what? Well, that's the wrong question. Because it's not faith in some kind of religious system. It's not faith in this church or faith in me as a pastor. Still not working. It's faith in who? Faith in who? Well, what's the answer to that question? Well, let's use the most quoted verse in all the Bible. And that's the verse John three sixteen It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18 goes on to say, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So it's not faith in what, it's faith in who, and it's all about, there's a key word. What's the key word? Believe, right? Over and over again. It says, whoever believes in him, whoever doesn't believe in him. Now, most of us here say, say, well, yeah, we know that. Well, there's a subsequent question, though. Believes what about him? You know, we say, well, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Well, James, half-brother of Jesus said, you say you believe in God? He says, what's the big deal about that? Satan and the demons of hell believe in God. They know Jesus exists. They even recognized him during his ministry. Many times when he's casting out demons, they would say, have you come to torment us before our time? So believes what about Jesus? A believer first has to believe what Jesus claimed about himself. John 8, 23 and 24. But he, Jesus, continued, you are from below I am from above. You are from this world. I am not from this world. Now look what he says. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. If you don't believe that, Jesus said you will die in your sins. In other words, you will go into eternal hopelessness. You will go into eternal separation from God. Now, now, who did Jesus claim to be? Well, in John 6, 35 and verse 51, he says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. In other words, Jesus says, I'm not normal. I'm not just another great teacher. I came down from heaven, and I am the source. I am the bread of life. He says it even clearer in John 14, 6, when Jesus, answering the question of who he is, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he finishes by saying what? No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I think that's pretty definitive, don't you? He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one is getting to the Father. No one will enter the eternal kingdom except through me. In Matthew 26, he's standing now. He's been betrayed by Judas. And he's in the house of the high priest of of Israel, Caiaphas. And they've been interrogating him all night. They brought false witnesses against him and the false witnesses' stories wouldn't line up and they were contradicting each other. And so finally, in exasperation, Jesus has said nothing. It says in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 63, but Jesus remained silent through all this. So the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now Jesus finally speaks up and he says what? He says, yes, it is as you say. Then he goes on to say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He goes on to talk about who he is and what's going to happen in the future. And this is the point where the chief priests and the other religious leaders rent their clothes, they tear their clothes and they start screaming, blasphemy, blasphemy. See, if we're truly gonna be a believer, we have to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Second, we have to believe who God declared Jesus to be. In 1 John chapter 5 beginning in verse 10, the second part of verse 10, scripture says this, "Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Why? Because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son." Then it goes on to say, "And this is the testimony. What does God say about Jesus?" Goes on to say, God has given us eternal life, and this life is what? In his Son. He who has the Son has what? Life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, scripture is not ambiguous about this at all. God said, Who is Jesus? He's my Son. And he who believes in him has life. And he who doesn't believe in him, and what I have declared about him does not have life. Bottom line, Acts 5, 12. Salvation, eternal rescue from this peril that every man and woman who is born faces. Salvation is found in what? No one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No one else. No other name. No other religious system. That's why people resist Christianity so much when they don't resist other world religions because other world religions don't claim that there's only one way. Jesus said, "I'm the way," and that's backed up in Scripture in Acts four twelve. We said salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name. All roads aren't getting there. All right, so and I'm answering a question: Am I truly a believer? Romans ten verses nine and ten says. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified and it's with the mouth that you confess and are saved. All right, let's, let's bring this thing home. Am I a believer? Well, if I'm a believer... That means I have come to the place that I believe God. I believe Jesus. I am no longer trusting in myself as a good enough person to get to heaven. I am no longer trusting in some world religious system to help me find a path to, to God or to, to karma or, or to whatever. The believer has come to the Junction in his or her life where they get it and they declare to God and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the only way. There is no plan B, there's no plan C, there's no variation. It's not Jesus and this and Jesus and that. It is Jesus. And we come to the place where we understand our helplessness, our eternal hopelessness outside of Jesus. And, and, and with our heart and with our mouth, we confess to God, God, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I'm eternally doomed if it isn't for Jesus and what you've declared about him and what he's declared about himself, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And God, I believe everything that you've declared and everything that you've revealed about Jesus, that he was your son, that he died, and he was buried, and on the third day, he was brought back to life by your power. And that it is through his willing sacrifice on that cross that you are willing to extend your grace to me. And so God, I ask for that grace. I confess with my mouth. Jesus is Lord. There is no other way back to you. I believe in my heart what you have declared and what scripture declares about who Jesus is. And I trust him and him alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for eternal life. Now to those who do that, Scripture declares this, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who what? Who what? Who what? What else? What else besides believe? Nothing else. Who believe in the name of the Son of God, it goes on to say, so that you will know you have eternal life. in theological circles. That's called justification. That's a theological word, justification. And it means the act, the process, the state of being justified by God. Another way to look at it is the work of God where the righteousness of Jesus is reckoned to the sinner. So the sinner is declared by God As righteous. This is received by what? By what? Faith Faith alone. In other words, justification is this. That because of my faith in what God has revealed about Jesus, because of my faith in what Jesus revealed about himself, because I have abandoned any confidence in anything else, especially my own goodness, Then God extends his grace. What's his grace? His unmerited favor. He says, I'm gonna give you what you couldn't earn and I'm gonna give it to you just because I want to give it to you because I'm not a God of judgment. I'm not a God of hatred. I'm not an ogre. I'm a God of love. I'm a God of mercy. And I have a passion to give you that which you cannot earn. And I'm giving it to you as a gift. And the only qualifier is that you believe on the name of the Son of God only, alone. Now, Paul raises an interesting question for those of us who've done that. All right, so, our salvation, our rescue from eternal peril is given to us by God's grace in response to our faith in Jesus, right? That's it, right? So he says, in Romans 6, verses 1 through 2, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer, Paul says? See, because already some people were taking liberty, saying, well, wait wait a minute, this is a pretty good deal. This is a pretty good deal. So I put my faith and God gives me his grace. All my sins are forgiven. It's not been by works, it's been God's gift. God gives me a gift. And so does that mean I can just go on sinning so that God's grace will over and over and over and over again be extended to me? Well, Paul rebukes that of me. He says, by no means. We've died to that kind of life. Now, John, one of Jesus' original disciples, goes on a step further. And he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 through 10a, he says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. In fact, he goes on to say, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what's right is not a child of God. Now, wait a minute. Someone out there is saying, but I continue to sin. So am I really not A believer after all? See you next week. (laughs) Let's bow our heads. Now now listen, I want to clarify here because this is too important not to. I know I kind of muddied up the ending here but that doesn't deny anything that I taught you today about salvation. What I'm actually gonna talk about next week is why so many of you who truly have done what God has declared necessary to receive salvation, you have trusted in Jesus Christ. You have declared and you have confessed with your mouth and you believe it in your heart that Jesus is the only way And you believe everything that scripture says about Jesus being the son of God and his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And you've done all that. And so if you've done that, then God has given you his grace. He's extended you his eternal grace. You are saved. Why? Because you've done what he commanded. You are a believer. You have extended your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, what I'm really going to talk about next week is why so many of you don't feel that. Why, even though that's true, why so many of you still wrestle with that intransitive definition of hope, where you saying, I know I did it, and I trusted Christ, and I said, Jesus is Lord, and I believe, but I don't know. Man, my life is, my life denies that. My life... I still sin. Now there's a reason for that, and there's a reason for that insecurity. And what we're going to address next week is that insecurity. But take this to the bank. Your eternal rescue from eternal peril comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads again. Let's ask the question one more time. You ask it of yourself because it's examine yourself, test yourself. Ask the question right now. Am I truly a believer? Am I truly a believer? Now, let's answer that question. Have I confessed with my mouth And do I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord? That Jesus is the eternal Savior? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And that no one, including me, is getting to the Father except through him? Have I done that? Do I believe that? If you have, then yes. God has extended his grace to you, that which you don't deserve. But he didn't give it to you because you deserved it. He gave it to you because he loves you. And he's honored by your response that you believe him at his word. And because you've believed him and not some religious Movement, a religious teacher or believe Satan when Satan tells you you're a good enough man, a good enough woman to make it on your own because you, you've pushed all that aside. You said, no, nope, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is the only way. Then yes, God has given you that grace. You are heaven bound. Now, if you're still wrestling with the security of that and you're still living in that intransitive hope definition, where you want it to be true, but Oh, there's still doubt in your heart. You're still doubt in your mind. And we're going to settle that next week. You come back. Maybe you're here today, though, as we take just a moment. You're a man or a woman, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ in the way that we've talked about today. You, you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the only way. You, you've never believed in your heart What Jesus has said about himself and what God has declared about Jesus, that he is life. And those who have believed in him have life, but those who have not believed in him are condemned already. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, but you know you need to. No one's looking around, and I promise I won't embarrass you. But if I could pray for you, would you just raise your hand? and say, Pete, pray for me. I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've never trusted him. Father, from the demonstration here, from the testimony of this assembled group of men and women, there's no one here who has not taken that important step, that eternally critical step, of believing you at your word and therefore having received your grace, that which we haven't earned, that which you have given us just because you want to give it to us, not based on our goodness or our behavior, but based on your love and your mercy and your compassion. And I hope that's true. But if there's a man or a woman here who really knew they should have raised their hand, Don't let them leave here in that condition, God. Help them to come to me or someone at one of the booths and we can show them in your word, once again, how they can know their sins are forgiven and heaven will be their home. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to be with us as we examine next week. Well, if that's true and we've really done that and and we've just examined ourselves and we know we have, we know that, then why do we wrestle so much? with insecurity. Lord, I pray you'll use your word next week to shore that up in our lives so that, Father, we can live the kind of life of freedom that Jesus died on the cross to give us. It is for freedom we have been made free, Galatians tells us. Now, Lord, bless us, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.